Woo, woo, what is that? What do you hear? Again, it is Mr. Benja. It is a freestyle Friday where, hey, ask anything, comment anything, whatever. We're just going to kind of freestyle it, uh, not trying to get too wrapped up in protocol, trying to get too wrapped up in schedules and everything. On Fridays, I just want to go free a little bit with a little of this, not come so heavy, go heavy if we need to, but just want to get some things off my chest. Got a lot of long list of things that just happened. So I think on Fridays, what I want to do with this format is just come in here, talk about some things, mention things that have maybe been in the news headlines, mention some things that maybe have been on my mind or your minds. I've seen in the comments, maybe we've got a couple topics we want to get through. So I'm going to go ahead and do this, maybe run about 45 minutes, maybe run about an hour, or I may just cut it early and go, go 30 minutes, whatever. But we'll do that. We'll break it up into parts and go from there. How about that? Instead of parts, let me call it sections. Or segments. Yeah, I like segments better. That's how we're doing it here. We're just going free. We're changing it up as we want to. And with that, I will get into segment number one. Our first segment. So, first off, the job booking book. A lot of you have seen my little scratches and scribbles and doodles. I am still doing the job booking exercise. It's a concept I talked about. I'm going to keep doing that at least once a week. Speaking on job booking, the actual book that I'm that I'm publishing of that is going to be coming out soon. Hope all of you hold around for that. It's going to be good. I've already passed it on to a few. How do you say? Not influencers, but a few proofers to look through it. Tell me what's going on, what they think, and getting good feedback from it. It seems to be a good and powerful little piece of information I'm putting together. I was about to call it a tutorial and instructional, but it's not really that so far. It's basically just a way that I've used to, a, a creative tool that I've used to put things out and put things together. And job booking is the first of several of these formats and processes and systems that I've been using to keep my things together analog in a digital world. So if you hadn't seen any of the job booking episodes, I have a whole playlist set up for that in in YouTube. And I have, you can search for job booking on my podcast if you're doing it through any of the podcast streams or anything like that. And yeah, it's just been really, and these are things I've used in my real life. So it's not like I'm just saying something and saying, hey, this wouldn't this be interesting? Or, well, this is simple. You should try this. It's actually much more than that. It's a whole process that I've gone through and a whole process that I built and put together and taking the time to actually formalize into a structured system. So putting it out to you just makes sense to me. You'll definitely see a lot more of me talking about that later in the coming um, in the coming weeks and in the coming days. Yeah, coming days. I'm, I will be talking about it definitely more next week. So coming days still makes sense. But that's job booking. For the next segment, we have uh, a new 8-Bit Cubist shirts coming out. I am wearing my taco tee. You've seen the taco tee before. I do have an updated version of this. I'm going to be bringing it out. I've also got a, a space shuttle version that I'm bringing out. A few of you from my Kickstarter may know what the space shuttle looks like, may know how that one plays out. Have a That has an exclusive color to it <clears throat> that you won't be able to get anywhere else unless you were part of the Kickstarter program. But... I do have a, I do have a new T-shirt coming out with that design, but in a different colorway that will be available to everybody. Of course, I do want to get these things out more often. Kind of been slipping on the eight-bit cubist thing. It hasn't been my full focus lately, but it's still something I really want to do. So you'll be seeing more of that. Not need to spend too much time talking about that. I'll just be about it and put it out, and you guys will be able to decide whether it's something you want to back or something you want to get a hold of, let me know if you want more of that or less of that, and we'll go from there. Next segment. So lately I've been getting some headaches. Oh, I get headaches every so often. And lately I found a way to really reduce the amount and the severity of headaches. And that's by knowing what the hell is going on with me. And getting things in a format, in a system, definitely helps me create but I also noticed that it's helped my my health be less random. I can understand what my body's going through more now that I have a system going on. 
So wake up at a certain time, my bed together, get my start the day right with food, make sure I do my exercises, my stretches, whatever the case may be. Formalizing all these into processes and and organizing them opposed to time. As a creative in the past, I haven't done as good of a job as I needed to doing that. But it really helps out. It really organizes things and it's made me feel healthier. And ironically, it's given me a different type of creative freedom, a creative freedom where I can just decide I'm going to spend this much time thinking, putting creative products out and being a little less random, a little less nebulous, a little less all over the place. And I can focus. Now, I still have my processes where I stop and actually break all my patterns with the intention of running into ideas, but it's actually a lot better for me now with the schedule, with the plan, with having everything in mind. So I definitely recommend that. I may talk about getting a daily routine in order. I may talk about that at some point. I may actually actually make a system out of it that I can formalize and, and show to you and share with everyone. I may actually have to do that because it's gotten me a long way. And I would say two things came along with getting rid of the headaches and reducing the pain associated with them. Two major things. It's been several things, obviously, but two major things. And the first of those is getting good sleep. Getting good sleep has been paramount to really setting me straight. Going to bed at a certain time, having my bed made and eating well before I go to sleep. <clears throat> so I don't go to sleep right after I eat. Eating the right foods so I get good sleep. Eating at the right times so I get good sleep. Making sure that my, as I said, my bed is made, my my temperature in my room is comfortable. I'm, I'm sleeping at the right comfort level. I may need to, I, I've stopped looking at so much social media right before I sleep, doing things that really get my mind running and crazy. I stopped doing so much of that right before I sleep. Maybe I'll meditate even a little before I go to bed, turn off devices so I can have a proper wind down. All of this was in, in the function of getting good sleep. Why did I want to get good sleep? Well, I need to get good sleep because I was noticing that whenever my creative output, whenever I just wanted to produce, whenever I just wanted to bang stuff out, whenever that was going wrong, it's because my sleep wasn't together. I noticed I was a little more tired. My mind was wandering a little more. And I always found that taking a nap or making sure I had good sleep beforehand fixed that. So one of my big problems was having good sleep. So once I started structuring everything around having good sleep, and actually I may have said this a little backwards, once I met, structured everything around having good sleep, I was able to organize things better. I was able to eat better. I was able to get to bed on time. I was able to have fewer headaches. All of that kind of came from the push to get good sleep. And that's, that's an amazing organizing principle. Once you have one thing that you need to get in order, it's like if you get this one thing down, a lot of other things should be better. And that was the one thing holding my creativity back was proper sleep. I was tired. I was unfocused. I, I could tell I was getting sleepy or I was a little too maybe physically jumpy at some times to get my creative work done at the right time that getting my sleep in order actually caused a chain reaction of events, of effects, causing me to eat better, causing me to sleep better, causing me to have fewer headaches, causing me to get more done. So all in, all in the terms of getting more sleep or getting better sleep, that just left the trail open for everything getting a little better. And that's what's going on with that right now and the physical stuff. So yeah, let me get into some news here, some things that have happened across the week. Maybe this is a better topic for Freestyle Fridays, a little something more interesting to talk about, I suppose. <clears throat> so for this segment, YouTube has new 30-second spots going on. So I've been a subscriber to YouTube Premium for a little while, and I love it. I didn't think I would like YouTube Premium as much as I did. I didn't see the need for paying just to get rid of ads for YouTube Premium. 
But <clears throat> oh, I got to make a note to cut out the coughs. Sorry about that. But YouTube's got these new 30 second posts that they're playing with. And the idea is that when you go to a video to watch it and you get a five second ad or 10 second or seven second, whatever second ad. Now they've decided, all right, we're going to start throwing in 30 second ads for you guys who are freeloading, watching for free and not really adding too much to the overall contribution of YouTube. Now, they already get paid ad money, but they're going to they're going to milk it even more with these 30 second unskippable ads. So even after the first little five seconds goes by, you're not going to be able to skip. You're going to have to wait for the whole thing. And maybe you might want to do this 30 second ad. They may put it in front of the hottest new thing, say a flash trailer that you really want to see or new a new GTA video that's coming out that you really want to see. They may just go ahead and bump that with the 30 second ad. That's a long time. That means a big step up from 50. I mean, five seconds, obviously. So what does this tell me? Well, something you would usually talk about on my other podcast show versus business, but this is one of those advertising moves. Creators got to get their money and so do advertisers. So YouTube is putting together this big platform and they love advertising. It, it didn't seem make sense to me as a kid how you could make so much money off of advertising and just getting in front of people's faces. But it's a seriously big business. It's how Facebook makes up all of its billions and Google's AdSense, how it makes all of its billions. We'll see how that changes in the future with all these di different technologies. But 30 second ads are coming. That might be a problem for a lot of people. Not sure how I feel about that at all. But I don't feel too bad about it because I have YouTube premium. And let me go ahead and make a little ad for YouTube premium right here myself. That's pretty great. I didn't realize how much ads bothered me until I didn't have them. And all of a sudden they started showing up again when I was when I was in a different browser or not logged in or something like, man, those things suck. You just want to jump in a video and, and get it happening. And not just the ads taking up time. With YouTube Premium, you also get YouTube Music. I didn't think I'd be that into YouTube Music, but it got me to drop my other music streaming service and just go over to YouTube. It's just convenient now. So the YouTube Music is a completely separate app, and it's actually much more capable than I thought it would be. The searching and the song recommendations that YouTube Music does are actually pretty darn good. And it really changed my mind. I actually got a few converts over from Pandora. People saying they use, still use Pandora. They're like, yeah, I just use the radio. Press this and it's great. I pay this much money for it. I'm like, stop that. You could be using YouTube, get YouTube premium. It'll be a lot better for you. It'll be great. Trust me. They tried it out. They loved it. Went back. Never went back. But that's that. So for the next segment, Netflix is cutting down on password sharing. This one's got a lot of people upset, but it's like, do you really need to get upset about YouTube? I mean, Netflix cracking down on password sharing. You've been sharing passwords all these time, and now suddenly you can't really share your password like that. Woe is you. I, I suppose there are there there are reasons to get upset. In fact, the biggest reason to get upset is because in the past, you, Netflix used to say sharing is caring. They actually had this little campaign where it's like, hey, you can share your password for up to so many devices, not devices, but so many people. And it wouldn't really trip, right? It's like, hey, we know what you're doing. We've got all the numbers and data. We can tell that you watching this one show in Tampa and half hour later, you're watching the same show or a different show in, in Arkansas. They knew that just wasn't really what was happening. So even with the possibility of VPNs and having different IP addresses and all that, they're still going to crack down on all this password sharing. And now when you go try to watch Netflix with a different password or the same passwords and different locations, you'll actually get a message on screen saying, hey, we know what you're up to. We know what you're doing. Go ahead and pay this little extra fee and you could have like a family account. You could add another profile to this account. You won't have to pay as much as a fully completely new account but we're gonna track both of you anyway. We know that you're splitting this account amongst multiple people, so we're gonna ask you to pay or not use the service like this. It's getting some pushback. I'm not sure how much yet as that pushback that it's getting, 
But Netflix has been pretty good about making money in the streaming wars. Most streaming services haven't really been making money like that, but Netflix has. But now that their new subscriber growth has gone down, they have to change more into an, a revenue supported model, which means it can't just rely on the stock going up because you have more and more subscribers. At some point, you have to turn that over into paying customers that, I mean, they were paying customers before, but you have to get more money out of them because your growth numbers have stopped and it stops being about growing the number of users and starts being about making sure we're getting our revenue from this user base. So not just with the password sharing, but also with the idea of getting money from the primary revenue source and ads. They've also added an ad-free, ver- I mean, ad-supported version of Netflix. So now you're paying a little more for an ad-free version and the ad-supported version you can get at a discounted rate. I'm not sure how the discounted rate goes along with the password sharing. I'm not sure how those affect each other at all. And I'm not even sure how the ad-supported one works. Next time I re-up my subscription to Netflix, I'll have to try the ad-supported version, see how that plays out, and then see what I want to do from there. They probably actually make more money with the ad-supported version, to be honest with you, because they can get paid twice. They can get paid by you and you paying for the service and you paying money to the advertisers, basically. They're getting money from both ends of the spectrum. So the advertisers obviously paying Netflix to show their ads to people and they're getting the ad revenue from your subscription at that same time. But that's not all of Netflix. There is an ad-free model. I don't want you to make you confused that they're only switching over to an ad-supported model. That's not the case. But that's what they're doing. And screw you, password shares. That's what they're saying. They're coming after you. If you have a problem with that, the Netflix password sharing, let me know. I'd actually like to know. Shout out to the music in the background. You know, it's funny. I got flagged one time for playing music in one of my streams because somebody drove by and I was playing loud music and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Then I was like, oh, somebody may have driven by. So it was really muffled. And I don't know even know why they called it a thing. It was only for a few seconds, but it was enough to get a whole video taken down. So let that be a warning to you. And for the next segment, best uses of AI. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't call this the best uses of AI. Maybe I should call this current uses of AI. But I was talking about how technology has pervaded everything and it's moving very quickly and it makes things change very rapidly. Did a whole podcast on this one. Go back and check it out. Getting Accepting rapid change was the title of it. It was a thoughtful Thursday episode. And basically technology is changing very fast and we have to get used to that and faster in ways that we've never experienced before because we don't have the limitations of a physical medium to worry about. Now things are changing digital only or in idea space only. And that means everything can change simply based on digital, the digital landscape altering not necessarily having to worry about, okay, well, flying cars won't be here for ages because we have to figure out the physics, the gasoline, the energy consumption, the manufacturing. All of that is reduced incredibly when we're switching over to a digital-only model where you only have to worry about moving bits around. And it's not so much of a physical issue, more of a methodological and ideological change and a structural information exchange change, not a physical one. So AI is coming for you, and and you should know that. The best use of it is up to you, I guess, but AI is currently taking over. Just in, in many senses of the word. Not just with making visuals, making images, making movies, making 3D assets, figuring out a lot of knowledge work that's been done before, lawyers, tech, translating old hieroglyphic documents, translating different types of text. AI has been able to do this very effectively and a lot more effectively than we thought. And what's interesting is the more information that we put into it to get to solve things, the faster it becomes because it can just plow through more and more data And the more data it has, the more context it has. 
And the more things that people input into systems like Instagram, Netflix, Twitter, et cetera, the more people put into these big data systems, the faster and more dangerous the technology becomes. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, it means I think you better, I think you better get involved. I think you better get into what's happening here. I think you better get with the program, like literally program. How do you build your chat prompts? How do you start utilizing this technology for your usage? That's a weird situation, right? It's a, it's a whole new world. How do you build on top of these things? How do you navigate in this new era? And I think the first step is understanding it and figuring out how to use it. Running away from it's not a good idea because technology is going to be there. And if you don't use it, somebody else is going to use it. And if you think it's going to be used for evil, the best thing that you can do is start understanding it so you can curb that that technology and curb that usage and lean it into something that you think is more beneficial to humanity, to society, etc. As I said, I currently have started integrating it into, into my life. I did a podcast about being GPT. That's what I'm calling Bing's integration of chat GPT into its search and chat. It's pretty neat and seamless. It can help you shop. If you're searching for, hey, what were those? Nike shoes that came out that had the blue flames on it or whatever. And it's like, hey, I got you. I can go search through these websites. I can add this and that. Boom, boom, boom. You've got Bing doing its thing from Microsoft. You've got Bard doing its thing from Google. You've got other players coming in. NVIDIA's stock just exploded because they're one of the only chip makers who's really building these systems that can process all this AI. I guess if you're wondering about a, a limitation, that would be it. Graphic chips that can process all this stuff. NVIDIA is probably the only company that's really out there doing it. And if you've seen the latest Photoshop, you're going to have graphic designers out of a mission, out of a job. You're going to have all kinds of people trying to figure out what to do with their lives because they don't understand how AI works, why it does what it does, who it's affecting, how they are being affected. Heck, they may think they're doing something really intelligent and their manager may be realizing that, you know what, I can kind of figure this out with AI. I don't need them around doing all of this. And if that person isn't able to find a place for their skills, their talents, their abilities without AI, then they may find themselves out of gas. And speaking of being out of gas, you've got drivers. A lot of people are drivers. There's a whole trucking industry where people are taught courses, people go to classes. It's a whole industry and people, I mean, the truck stops, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these big rig truck stops, but basically these huge trucks that you see transporting goods all across the United States or all across the land, wherever you are, these huge trucks have these big truck stops. And if you've ever been to one of these, you see how many people frequent these things. The trucks come in and all these people get out. There's diners, there's shopping centers, all for big rigs because there are so many people that travel these highways and have to do this stuff. It's become a whole culture, a whole community. There's a whole industry behind it. And theoretically, <clears throat> these drives are relatively simple, right? And theoretically, you just have a, an AI, an automated driving system step in and say, hey, I can take over this drive for you. You don't need to do this. Human, you lay back and go to sleep or something. So you could have one guy basically sleeping at the wheel. If there's even a person at the wheel to for the system at all, you could just have nobody at the wheel and have the thing driving by itself. Maybe this works for short distances. You have two different warehouses you're trying to move stuff between and you're not necessarily worried about trying to secure like special ways of driving. You're just following a standard route from one exit to another. You may just need a little AI to drive from one part of the highway to another part of the highway. And you save time, you saved energy, you saved manpower. And biggest thing of all, you save money. So companies are definitely looking into it right now. Elon's involved with his with his tech self and his mind link AI and all that. So it's coming as here. 
and that's just one industry. I could go over. Maybe I should do a whole. Maybe I should do a whole episode on AI usage because I don't think people understand how pervasive it is. The pervasive nature of AI. Yeah, kind of like the sound of that. So I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and start queuing that one up. You may see that one next week. Depends on if you want it or not. Let me know. And for my next segment, social media is pretty much transactional now. And what do I mean by that? When social media first started out, it was a way for friends to connect. It was a way for people that knew each other to connect in a social way. It was social media. Now it's not so much the case and companies are starting to realize this. So now we're moving into an era where it's not so much a concern about who you are and who your friends are and, hey, let me connect with my friends and share pictures. It's not so much a place where friends connect. If you remember Facebook, going to Facebook, it actually has a list of, not a list, it actually has one of its logos or slogans right when you start out, a place for friends. Friends would congregate there. Friends would trade stuff there. Friends would talk about each other there. And that's what it was all about. Yo, Legacy Comics, what's happened? Just just doing my Freestyle Friday, talking about anything today. So whatever's on your mind, toss it in there. Right now, I was just going over social media, how it's gone from being a place for friends, where it was a social network, and you develop things on a social graph. Now it's moved itself into a transactional graph and an interest graph. And these are very different. Yeah, I know you are, Pat. Come on now. Legacy Comics. Unless you got all your assistants running legacy comics now. Your your room of uh your room of hundreds of assistants, accountants, and everybody else running that big operation. I know you're doing it big. Love what you're doing over at Legacy Comics, by the way. Shout out to Legacy Comics. Condry is over there. Uh, they're doing good things. So yeah, but when I say a graph, I'm referring to the mathematical graph where you start plotting points and connecting points and all of these points are basically relationships where something moves from one point on the graph to another point. So if you have a connection or a network of friends, they're all connected by, hey, this person knows that person. Boom, that's a connection. These people know each other. So all three of these people are a connection. And you build out this big graph and you can see how data flows throughout the graph. You can see how friends meet each other through graphs, etc. And it's a friend-based graph. So now we've got a, a different type of system where it's a transactional graph or an interest graph. The transactional graph works in the way of, hey, I'm on this system, let me, let me send something to you. It's about sending people things. So if you jump on and let's say, let's say you've got this website where everything, everyone's connected through what they send. Maybe you can see a, a torrent site of that or a file sharing site or something like GitHub where everybody's they're transacting with data and putting in bits of code or sharing, sharing physical, not physical, sharing objects with each other. It's, it's transactional. You're sending money back and forth or you're sending data or files, properties back and forth. That's a transactional graph. And it's not so much concerned about who is in that graph, right? And on the other hand, you've also got the relationship graph. And this is where TikTok blew up. TikTok came around and said, yeah, we're going to start this new app. It's going to be a new social media platform. It's going to be a new thing. It'll be great. But if you notice when TikTok came out, they weren't so worried about connecting your friends to each other. You, you bring your friends on the app. Like they always have that invite your friends or whatever. You bring them on the app, but your primary interaction isn't with your friends, which is amazing. You bring all your friends on the app. Your primary interactions on TikTok aren't with people that you know and that you may have cared for in the past or may have known from your family or whatever, they're not concerned about that. They're concerned about your interest. So so TikTok is based off of an interest graph, which means, hey, I go on there. I really like this video about comics. That's great. I'll follow that guy. Hey, I really like this video on political goof ups. I'm always recording political goof ups. I like that. That's great. So you start having these different interests. And now when you go on, all you see are, and this is how people talk about the algorithm, always showing you what you want. You start to develop these, these flows of interests coming your way. And I barely see any of my friends. I barely interact with them. 
you'll notice in the comment section it's, and the, the messaging, it's not really set up for you to talk to your friends and, and maintain connections with people. It's set up to maintain your connections with interest. Why is that so interesting and valuable? If you're set up based on interest, they can sell you stuff more. If they know you're really into cooking, if they know you're really into the outdoor hiking lifestyle, if they know you're really into conspiracy theories, they can sell you things based on those interests much easier than they can sell you things based on your friends. And this is a big shift in the way things have been done. This is how the algorithm has been shifting. We'll see what, what Elon Musk and Twitter can do with getting back into a public forum. I don't know how that's going to work. We'll see in the future. But this whole interest versus social graph is really interesting to me. And it's changing everything into how we how we relate to each other. So now everything is based on your interest as opposed to your friends. Terribly interesting. It's something that's really underrated in the way people are looking at the social landscape going in the future. But if you look online, everybody's arguing about interest. They're arguing about, we're not, we're not just arguing, but they're interacting based on their interest. And it's going to be an interesting, different, interesting, different future that we're going into. But that's all for that. So another one, let's see for the next segment, just a quick little bit of information here. Nick Cage apparently may show up in the flash. So the new flash movies coming out soon and Nick Cage may show up in this thing. This is really odd. For those of you who don't know, there was a Superman movie that was scheduled to come out starring Nick Cage. It's got an incredibly amazing story. Kevin Smith got involved at one point and he has great things to say about it. It was really bizarre, weird, and interesting how this story came about and how Nick Cage ended up becoming the possible Superman, how the story and the development went off the rails and how you'll never see it. It's locked away in some vault somewhere. It may have been destroyed in a lot of situ in a lot of cases, but basically this whole Nick Cage thing as Superman never happened. Years later, maybe even a decade later, I don't know if it's been a full 10 years. I'm pretty sure it has been. Over a decade later, or at least a decade later, we now have this, this possibility of seeing Nick Cage as Superman in the Flash movie. So if you know about the Flash movie, it's going off this, this story called Flashpoint, where Flash goes back in the past, starts messing with time. You start seeing different versions of timelines, kind of the multiverse idea going on again. You're seeing different versions of the Flash show up. You're seeing different versions of characters in the DC universe popping in and out. So not only different versions of the Flash, different versions of Batman, Superman, everybody else. In the DC universe, you have different versions of them on different timelines and in different universes, hence the name multiverse. But we kind of knew to expect that watching the trailers. But what's interesting, and this is that having a story outside the main story, we've been hearing about all of these cameos that have been cut, all of these side stories that have been cut from the Flash. And I don't know what's going to happen with these, whether they're going to put them in post-credit scenes, whether they're going to just leave them on the cutting room floor. We may never see them again. We may only get to see them if we buy the special edition Blu-ray that comes out later. Sure, they'll try to get some money off of that. Or they may just try to extend the life of it by having a full multiversal director's cut release or whatever. I don't know. But what's interesting is that somehow information has gotten out that Nick Cage's Superman might be in there. And that might actually just be enough to get me to get up and go see this thing with Nick Cage in it. Because that was such an interesting story about Hollywood development and and weird takes on superheroes that I might just have to go see it just because of that. I was going to see it anyway, but now I might really have to go see it and see it early because I don't want anybody to spoil it for me. Let me know if you're into, into The Flash and if you want to see that one, because that's going to be kind of wild. And for the next segment, I suppose I'll stick with comics on this one. There was information that came out that said, well, not information that came out. It was Scott Snyder, uh, Zack Snyder talking. Zack Snyder talking about how Wonder Woman was, there were talks and Wonder Woman was under consideration for being an, a Kryptonian 
in this new universe. And a lot of people took this headline and ran with it. But is this that crazy? Is it that crazy that Wonder Woman could end up being a Kryptonian in a grounded universe? Let me explain. So this isn't too crazy if you consider that Zack Snyder was trying to build a more grounded universe, a more grounded DC where things are more, quote unquote, realistic. It was grounded in some type of structured reality. It was grounded in a more cohesive story structure, a more cohesive overall way of going about things. And you have to remember, when comics were created back in the day, when each of these individual lines were developed, written, and brought about, what they did was this one guy had a story, and it's like, cool, let's put it on the shelf. This other guy had a story. Cool, let's put that story on the shelf. Suddenly, you're you're both under the same umbrella. You're under the same studio. And they're like, hey, can these characters visit each other? Can they go to each other's city? Is this supposed to be all one world? Let's make a super group full of... Batman, Superman, The Flash, and all these disparate characters, let's start putting them together. Let's see if we can make another comic book out of that and include characters we've already seen before and maybe have crossover stories, et cetera, et cetera. All these different reasons to have these characters meet up or be in the same world, but they often came from different writers, different companies completely. They may have not had any relationship with each other, but because their, their studio got bought by DC or whatever, now they're under the same roof. What do we do with them? They're in the same universe now. So decades later, you have something like Zach, someone like Zack Snyder coming around saying, hey, how do we get all of this together under one universe, under one story? Let's make a more grounded, structural universe. Let's make a more grounded story base that everybody can work from. And if everybody works from this grounded story base, then more of your stories make sense. Everything's a little more cohesive and things tend to work out. Now, still people are wondering why she was an Amazonian. Why can't that be the case still? What's wrong with that? These were just talks. But let me tell you why they make sense. Right now, the Amazonian story is fine, well, and dandy, but it's kind of, it kind of doesn't work in the rest of the DC world. It's just this area that no one was able to discover. So they're like, well, how was no one able to discover it? Okay, well, they had some magic bubble around it. Okay, well, how was no one able to find this magic bubble? Well, anybody that came around the bubble, they got killed. Okay, was it the Bermuda Triangle or something? How, how does it make sense that no one found this or found these people? And you have to come up with these stories and magic starts getting involved. And then people were like, well, wait a minute, how does Wonder Woman fly in the first place? And one of the actual explanations in DC Comics for Wonder Woman being able to fly is that she glides along currents of air. I'm not sure how being an Amazonian allows her specifically to fly along currents of air, but that really doesn't even make sense within the Wonder Woman universe. We just kind of accept it as she has these magical powers for no apparent reason. And we're going to go with it. I was about to say we're going to let it fly, but that would be a pun that I didn't want to intend. So if she was Kryptonian based, then maybe she came from the same, maybe she came from the same planet, biological structure, the same basis as Superman. They didn't have to even know each other. They could have just been both refugees from the same planet. They both could have been escapees from the exploding planet Krypton. Maybe the Amazonians started as an exploratory race that ended up finding Earth first. I don't know. You could have had a lot of different reasons for it. But having her be an Amazonian would quickly allow her to have a different set of abilities for some reason, but they still would make sense according to Kryptonian lore that we already knew and that was already grounded. There's quote unquote science behind the Superman's abilities. They have a different physiological and biological structure that's affected by Earth's sun. Maybe she ran into a different sun and her powers manifested differently, or maybe she has the same or very similar set of powers as Superman because of that. But maybe she has different technology from Krypton that she's been working with all this time that allows her to behave differently or to be seen as a different character. Anyway, these were just talks. 
the fact that he mentioned these talks, Zack Snyder, that is, the fact that he actually mentioned them and everybody went nuts. This is how things work right now. People just hear the, the headline and they go crazy. It's like, oh, God, Zack Snyder wanted Wonder Woman to be a Kryptonian. Ah, and there's actually more to it than that. I personally, given the kind of explanation and thoughts behind it, I wouldn't have minded if she was Kryptonian. I think a very good good background story could be told from that. I think when more of these things are related, you start to have a better appreciation for this unified world that you're building. And I think that you're better able to ground all of these different stories. So there's a certain base for people to understand. And you don't have so many people in the audience saying, well, wait a minute, how come this is like this? This character does this. This character did that. Why don't they just this is how your stories start to splinter off because people are a little confused on why things work the way they work. They may not say it, but they just kind of have this little cloud of confusion. If you can bring it all together and say, oh, no, no, she came from Krypton as well. People are very quickly to go, oh, OK, and they nod their heads and go on about their business. So I don't think that's a terribly bad idea. But obviously they didn't go with it for whatever reason. And because the Snyderverse is pretty much done, we'll never know until the next SnyderCon happens. Man, imagine coming up with something so groundbreaking that you get your own little con because of it. There is a SnyderCon, and it's basically all about the Zack Snyder universe and everything that he's created. So props to him for, for putting that together. That's an interesting little thing. Maybe we'll have something like that with BenjaCon going on again this year. For the next segment, do you binge or do you like to do you like things to binge or do you like things to drop weekly? Got in a discussion with this with my man, Tony Barnes. Shout out to Tony, props to him. But the way things are going, binging seems to be really messing up the current model. And it's not good for business. If you can go check out a video by Captain Midnight, Captain Midnight's got this video about binging and putting that up against weekly releases. And his argument in extremely short version is basically that binging harms the creative output. And I agree with that, actually. I actually think there are a lot of ways that it does harm the creative output. You rush things, you're more likely to cancel them because something comes out, no one likes it. The buzz dies down very quickly. You can't really get your returns as much. Creatively, people aren't able to digest the shows week by week. And you just have this big lump of content that people skip through. They jump past. They get to the ending very quickly. And it doesn't have a chance to simmer in the audience. And the reverence for the medium is lost when you go in the binge model in a lot of respects. People can make their decisions much, much quicker, which means... They kind of watch it. Yeah, it was okay. I didn't like it or whatever. And a lot of that happens because you don't have the chance to build up the love and the appreciation for everything that's going on in the show. Because instead of having a 12 episode or 20 or 10, maybe, or eight sometimes, you don't have these episode arcs that last you eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, which is like now we're starting to get into three months of your time every week catching something. You don't have that investment built in. So now you lose out on a lot of the appreciation for the product. But problem is you've opened that door and now a lot of people want it. In fact, I usually prefer binging, not necessarily binging, but watching things on my own terms. I am not really a person that watches episode by episode and discusses, I like this episode, what happened to you, da, da, da. I, I carve out my time and I like to watch maybe one episode every night, really sit down, think about it, enjoy it for myself. And I can pace myself out one at a time if there. And hey, maybe if it's a night where I don't have anything going on the next day, I may watch two in a row, especially when the finale comes. I may actually watch those last three all in a row. And I'm not so worried about soaking it in because when I watch those last three, I'm really there and invested. Or if the show is not that great. I can speed through it faster and like, okay, come on, get to the point. Let's get to it. I mean, I had 
you'll, you'll read a lot of these these shows and it's like, yeah, it was 24 episodes and it didn't get good until episode nine. If you're doing that weekly, man, that's nine weeks out of your life. And you're sitting here with this story in your head for nine weeks. What do you do for the rest of that time? Just hope that it gets good. I don't know if you, you can do that. So I understand that's a disservice to the art in a lot of respects, but it's going to be hard to pull back from that model completely. Maybe you can do a hybrid where some of your shows are bingeable and your more impressive shows are are based on weekly releases. I think that's what HBO Max and Netflix were trying out versions of that. Netflix would break sending stuff out in what they call parts, like, hey, part one, part two, where you'd have a couple episodes in part one, a couple episodes in part two. And they're playing around with that model. But people are so used to binging on Netflix that they were like confused. HBO, on the other hand, which is now just called Max. So Max, on the other hand, has this strategy where they just put everything out every week, once a week. And this is how you get these really long lasting dramas. And the one thing creatively that the weekly release does allow you is the ability to put something out, have the audience react, and then put another something out, have the audience react. And if you're seeing how the audience is reacting, you can actually edit things in real time. You can actually, this is, these are digital products now. It's not as, as structured and as, as stuck in, in, as written in stone as it used to be. You're able to just put something out and slowly over time actually edit your product as people are getting towards the end. If they see favoritism toward a certain character, they're like, hey, you know what? Let's put a little bit more of that character's backstory that we had. Let's not cut that out. Let's keep that backstory in episode seven, because in episode two, people really like this character. And you could totally adjust as you as you're going. You can adjust on the fly, which is a really interesting concept that I think a lot of developers and creatives really like that they can hear the feedback and adjust as they go along. And it also reduces upfront costs because you don't have to have all your costs upfront. You can have your costs spread out over time, which is probably a little more beneficial in terms of post-production reshoots. You don't have to jam it all into this one huge release that costs you a lot of money. If it's working, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. A lot of different, some pros and cons for both sides. I might do a whole deep dive on that. Might not. But as I said, I'll have the link for Captain Midnight back in, in, the, in the show notes. For the next segment. Twitter is becoming an interesting place. Look, I don't know what Elon Musk is up to. Uh, he is an interesting guy. I actually, I applaud him on being a marketing genius. I applaud him for getting big things moving. But this guy, the stuff he backs and the stuff he talks about, I'm I'm really not I don't want to call him a dislikable guy, but Elon's got issues, man. The stuff that he's putting forth and the arguments he's making, I definitely don't agree with a lot of them. If you're wondering why I'm hesitating here, it's because I've gotten I've been pushing myself to stop name calling and just labeling people as whatever I think they might be. We are definitely not on the same side and don't see eye to eye on a lot of issues. He the way he views the world is a problematic one, I believe. Yes, he's got this technological businessman, technological marketing style that really makes things happen. Are there better technologies out there? Was he really the founder of Tesla? I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because with him as the driving force, he's able to make it happen in the world, which is an interesting thing. It's very impressive on that level. What's not impressive is his social stand on a lot of things. And if someone's got this much control over a social platform, you have to kind of be concerned about what their social agenda is. And unlike a lot of engineers or a lot of development types who would step back from their social side of things and say, listen, I just want to create a better landscape, a better platform for these types of social interactions and we'll keep it a nice and happy place. Suddenly, his politics, his angles, his 
unfortunate views on a lot of things start coming into play. Like, there's no need for him to be out there retweeting like Scott Adams and yeah, free speech. A lot of nonsense gets said on Twitter, and I think that his version of free speech. Got to be careful with this one because I have complex thoughts on the matter. I, I don't want to put them out there in the wrong way here. But basically, he's uh, I think he's making quite a bit of a mess in order to get to a place that's not as controlled or as strict. And what it's done so far, like Twitter engagements up hot, up heavily. I was he actually got Twitter working with 85 percent less staff. So he got rid of 85 percent of its workers and it's still working pretty fine. And actually, a lot of what's going on over there in terms of the technology is actually working out well. So I applaud him in that respect. But yeah, man, dude's kind of a jerk in a lot of ways. Sorry to say that. But a lot of people are jerks that run these large companies. They just jerk you around. They just pull jerk moves. That's what happens. Elon is definitely no exception. The things that he's left open. Yeah, if you go back and look at how he's promoted, I mean, if you're supposed to make a free speech thing, sure. But if you're in that position, you should separate yourself from the discussion quite a bit. You can't have somebody running a company influencing these social discussions. If the so if the people in the society are going to work it out, then they're going to work it out. Why does that matter? Because you've got applications and effects from things like uh, what is it called the I forgot what he's called the little service where everybody checks each other the social notes or community notes that's it so now we've got this thing called community notes where basically if something starts getting flagged by the community as being stupid or booty or it's just not the right thing then community notes comes in and people can start judging it people can start saying hey there needs to be more more oversight on this topic there needs to be more oversight on what this guy is saying it's it's not true it's defamatory it's it's damaging to people and that's where community notes comes into play actually a very good idea but you need to have somebody who's a little more outwardly impartial and who can discipline themselves a little more to be more impartial can you have your political views and still run a system like this yes but you need to have the discipline and maturity to step back and say, this is how it's going to work. He actually did show one bit of maturity when he did, when he did the casting for, um, he, he basically said, Hey, do I need to be CEO anymore? You, everybody votes and we'll start working on the process. The majority of people voted to not have him as the head of Twitter. And he was like, cool. Okay. I'll move into a more of a technology role and I'll step back. This may have been a ploy of his all along or win-win kind of situation which is smart again, but so far he seemed to have held up to that and got this new lady from NBC who was out there making money with ads on at NBC, now bringing that ad money knowledge over to Twitter. So we'll see Twitter working with ads and generating money on getting your eyeballs and getting money from you more so than it was before which was what people were concerned about with Twitter, him taking on all this risk and this financial, this financial hardship that Twitter was having. He's taking it all on, seeing if he can do something about it. Now he hires new CEO, it's all good. Company's private now, so I was about to say we don't have to worry about stockholders, but let's see where this goes. To be honest, I don't think any of this has anything to do with, not anything, but I don't think a lot of it has to do with this social landscape he's trying to build but it's about control, right? And Elon wants to always build this thing called the everything app. And what is an everything app? Basically an app that has everything in it. We don't see so much of that here in the States, but he's got these, Elon's got this set of ideas that can be put into one app. In other, in other countries, you may have just one app that controls your finances, your banking, your communication, your, your shopping, your entertainment, etc. And they put it all, they just basically bundled it into one app. And once you have that app and access to it, then you have access to basically all of your apps. This came about because early on in the days of smartphones, 
you wanted to get smartphone technology out to people, but they weren't able to. A lot of these countries found it much easier to cut down on bandwidth, to save on cost, to get things flowing more smoothly. Is if, if you just had one or two apps to control everything instead of this myriad of apps that we're used to. We're used to picking and choosing our apps. They're like, hey, wait a minute. Why do we need all this crap? We just have one app. Facebook started to go down that route with being the everything app where you could where you could shop, where you could meet your friends, where you could have a, a bartering marketplace. That's where they got a lot of their ideas from. And Twitter is now going down that path. It's like, hey, maybe we can make payments with Twitter. Maybe we can connect people with Twitter, do shopping, do making, et cetera, all in one app. So that's kind of what he's going for. And think about this. Imagine your Twitter account being connected to your car as well as being connected to your Neuralink brain chip. It sounds crazy, but it's actually a plan. It's actually thoughts that are happening, going on right now. Where if I get to my car, I have my Twitter login, my Twitter persona that I paid money for to help me log into my car. My Twitter account is where I get all my bills and information about my Tesla service, my Tesla Maybe I have awards points that get awarded where it's like, hey, I've been using Twitter this long and been doing this much with it. I get extra award points. My credit card basically is run through Twitter. I get extra award points and I can apply that to energy credits or something like that. Whatever. Maybe I can get on one of these flights to Mars with SpaceX by connecting through Twitter. It's it's all an amazing kind of concept to have all of this running through one everything app. I don't even know what that means for a future built around that. Very interesting stuff, though. And that's where Twitter is right now. Right now, they're they're embroiled in a lot of discussions and rampant toxicity on that site right now. People don't know how to speak with each other. They're arguing, defaming. It's become quite a quite a quite a place. The idea was to have a town hall. But if you've ever been to a town hall meeting that gets a little spicy, Yeesh. It's the Wild West out on Twitter land. That's all I'm saying. If you like that kind of thing where you're always online arguing, then Twitter's the place for you to be. I tend not to go for that so much anymore. I used to be big on the online arguments, but that's what Twitter has become. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just, it's just what it is right now. It's very loud, debated. You do a lot of debates there. It's definitely a go-to for news organizations because that's where town town hall, right? You get out there, hey, this happened. I saw this. Here's a picture of it. Everybody in the world, start discussing it. Go. And there you have Twitter, right? Stuff goes viral. People get canceled. People get attacked. People get supported when they may not necessarily want the support, et cetera, et cetera. Currently, they're going over... I mean, Twitter trending is like... This happens every so often. People just start trending on Twitter. It becomes a thing. Once you're trending on Twitter, then you know you're being talked about in real time very quickly. Faster than TikTok, faster. May not be faster than TikTok, but definitely more comprehensive because you can just fire off a note instead of a video. A video has to be watched. The video has to be transcribed. You can just jump in and do anything on Twitter. So when I, when I need the most up-to-date finger on the pulse information of what anybody's doing, then I go to Twitter because that's just what it is. New game comes out, new movie comes out, something comes out. You just talk about it on Twitter. What's happening, Daniel John? Shout out to all the people stopping through, waving. It's always appreciated. So, all right, I hit my hour and that's what I said I was going to do. Basically, we'll see how these cat, these I was about to say casual Friday, like I'm back in the corporate job. I'm always casual now, at least in how I dress. But that's it for this Freestyle Friday. Thank you all for joining us. Appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. I'm really trying to build up my YouTube presence over there. Still got the podcast stream, so Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, anything else you can get me over there. Um, won't belabor this one. Be sure to check out those. And as always, you can find me at mrbenja.com. But no matter what happens... Make sure that you keep going, keep doing, keep your head up, and keep creating good things. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining me on this podcast. 
You all make everything I do possible and I really do appreciate it. So even if you've got me on social, please visit mrbenja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, I'll see you next time. Peace.